Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, a hiring campaign at DHS with great designs on the future and pushing the innovation envelope at OPM. It's Monday, August 29th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. The Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Technology, Ann Newberger, and the Director of DISA, Lieutenant General Robert Skinner, are two of the headliners for Defense Talks. It's coming September 15th at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City. You can see the rest of the lineup and sign up through a link in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Department of Homeland Security will launch a hiring spree for customer experience and product management expertise. DHS's Chief Information Officer Eric Heisen announced the hiring initiative at Fed Talks last week. Ed DeSev is coordinator of the Agile Government Center at the National Academy of Public Administration. He's former Deputy Director for Management at the Office of Management and Budget. Ed, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. We get this news not too long after we learn that the IRS will be able to hire a lot of folks as a result of the Inflation Reduction Act. A lot of people coming into these agencies in short periods of time. What are the potential benefits and pitfalls that managers should be thinking about now, Ed? Welcome. Thank you, Francis. I'm delighted to be here. Um, Let me go back to earlier this year and look at the president's executive order. His executive order 14058 focused on transforming federal customer experience and service delivery to rebuild trust in government. So what DHS is doing is a part of a more macro approach that government is taking. And and the executive order says, quote, strengthening the democratic process requires providing direct lines of feedback and mechanisms for engaging the American people in design and improvement of federal government programs, processes, and services. So this is a very big deal. This is not just Uh, DHS putting more people on the payroll. Rather, it's part of an overall global process. It's not just the United States. So OECD did a report in July on uh, trust in government, and they said a crucial factor distinguishing democracy is the equal opportunity for representation in governance. What we're really talking about. If this is done right, the customer journey will be documented in such a way that people will feel that they're included in the conversation and thus tend to trust government more. So I applaud what DHS is doing. I applaud what IRS is doing. And I'm sure other agencies will follow. That distinction that you're making between governance and government is really important, Ed, I think. Uh, I, 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 we think a lot about participation, citizen participation in government in this community in which you and I and the listeners of this program live. I'm not sure we spend as much time as we should thinking about citizen involvement in the governance itself, do we? We don't. And we've never really developed uh, a process for doing that. We like to think of ourselves, uh, those of us who have been, were in government, um, as you know, really, we are technocrats. We know what we're doing. We know how to do this. And we don't listen enough. We don't listen to what the people have to say. Again, that's a funding that OECD put together. And they said, our trust survey indicates that people in countries with democratic access of government are 
not being not feeling included and as a result don't trust the government if you and i were um, were working on a project together and i didn't really include you in the work on the project but just did it all myself you might not trust me or the outcome of the project as much as as if you had been part of the team that was dedicated to solving the problem and that's what we're seeing now at the federal level and at state and local governments as well you cited in uh, your quotation from the executive order on customer experience uh, uh, the word design a couple of times, Ed. And I note that Eric said that at Fed Talks that he would be hiring folks with design expertise. As somebody who's written a bunch of those memos that you quoted from, when you read that term, design expertise, design mentioned in there several times, what does that mean to the point that we just made about the difference between governance and government? Um, I think design is a word that's used with many meanings. We have to be a little careful about it. Often it's the technologists who do the design of websites, who do the design of the way people access government information. That's one set of design. But designing the way a particular policy is developed or a particular regulation is developed by getting feedback from people who are going to be regulated or for people to whom the, the regulation has great impact. Um, I'm looking at a regulation right now that the Pennsylvania Fish and Game Commission is putting out, and it has potential impact on things that I do here, uh, trout fishing in particular. So I'm glad that they've in, in included me in the potential design of that regulation. It's important to them for a variety of reasons. It's important to me. I feel better about the Fish and Game Commission I trust them more they're having given me the ability to comment and give them my ideas. All right. I'd like to extrapolate that then a little bit. What happens if what the game Fish and Game Commission decides doesn't comport exactly with the outcome that you would like? If the process was fair and open, if they listened carefully to a variety of comments, they have the responsibility to make a decision about this. Um, I, I would trust them more if they included me and gave me a, a, a good shot at shaping the policy. But I will stand by the policy as long as it was fairly constructed and properly uh, executed. All right. What is the skill set that you would think or that you would maybe recommend to the Homeland Security Department in the context of what we just discussed about design what kind of skills do they need that maybe they don't have or don't have enough of now, Ed? Well, there's two different things. The people they hire should be open in their thinking and listeners, people who listen. They can then be trained in some of the mechanics of the various policies. So they can go out and look at the most important touchstone or, or uh, the most important thing to the potential customers who are coming in. Um, but if they don't listen, if they are uh, autocratic in their, their thinking or uh, think that they know everything, get a problem. So sympathetic, listening people who can then be trained, who are trainable in policy development and execution. The other side of this, Ed, is something that you and I have talked about many times, and that is all of these good intentions, all of these analyses, the DHS, IRS, I mentioned earlier, other agencies that are trying to bring people in will perform, still have to headbutt against the, the traditional hiring process. 
how do we get out of a cycle where the mentality at least might be, well, in order to bring these people in, we're going to have to create some special hiring authority if we're going to do this with any expedience. Um, I think I have to go back and ask OPM. OPM currently has uh, an organization for human-centered design. Look to thine own self. Look to thine own organization and see how we can create a human-centered design process that can deal with the regulatory authorities that exist and allow the proper exceptions to be put in place in order to achieve the goals that the president, the Congress, and others care about. All right. What are the potential pitfalls in making this effort? Not just for the design expertise. I've kind of micro-focused on that. But uh, Eric also talked about product management and, and broader customer experience rather than than the, the more um, exclusive design expertise. But there's a, there's a lot going here, and I wonder how you evaluate at some future point that you got the results that you wanted. Well, I think the, the customers will tell you, if you do this right, the first thing you do is figure out what the customer experience is. You look at all of the points in the customer experience where things have or could go wrong. So in the future, we're going to hear from the customers whether they're happier or not as happy. VA did this some years ago in access to healthcare, and they significantly improved their customer satisfaction ratings from somewhere in the 60s to somewhere in the 90s. They did this by listening to veterans what was important. For example, the veterans told them that it's not the speed with which I get my appointment, but it's having someone who understands my case and who can properly give me advice about what I should be doing. I talked to a former a Navy veteran the other day. He said, yeah, he said, the greatest thing that happened to me is I got a case coordinator. I'd never had one before. I used to have to fumble around trying to figure out who was in charge. Now I can call my case coordinator and she'll tell me what it is that I should be doing, where I should be accessing service. That's real customer experience. That's really understanding what's going on. So the customer will provide that information and the agency should set up a mechanism for getting that feedback. Ed DeSev, great to have you on the program as always. Thank you very much. Good vacation, Francis. You can read more about the hiring influx that's coming to DHS in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. Voting's open now for the 2022 edition of the FedScoop 50. You can vote for your choices till September 30th. We'll announce the winners November 3rd. You can find a link to see the finalists and place your votes in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Office of Personnel Management's up to about 15% of the spend it can make on its Zero Trust Technology Modernization Fund money. It got $9.9 million for the project in March. It spent about $1.5 million. Guy Cavallo is the chief information officer at OPM. At Fed Talks on Wednesday, he tells moderator Dave Levy of Amazon Web Services, people are the key to his operation. Great technology with a workforce that is resistant to it is a failure. So if you don't put your investment into the workforce, whatever products you select, it's not going to work. Uh, one thing I'm very excited that we've done at OPM, uh, for those of you that are familiar with the Federal Employment Viewpoint Survey for the people that aren't in government, that's an annual survey of the pulse of your employees. In the last year, I've raised my score by 20 to 30 percent. 
Now, that doesn't happen overnight. I'm going to give you guys some tips that you can do that don't cost you a lot of money, uh, but they take effort. One is for the current workforce. I set the vision, let them know where we're going, and then I bought them unlimited technical training to help them get there that they can take 24 hours a day at home. I've also committed that I'll pay for their technical certifications if they get on board on the journey. And uh, that's just part of what we've done it. I've also implemented rewards. We have monthly uh, staff meetings where people are recognized. These are the little things that I find sometimes as technologists we forget to do that are real important for your workforce. Now for my new workforce, um, I can tell you my average age of my workforce is much higher than I would like. Uh, I have about 230 federal employees. This year I hired 18 interns and everybody went, oh my God, what are you gonna do with 18 interns? I said, well one, I'm gonna lower my average age for one thing. <laughs> But, but two, we're going to inject new life into this. So uh, OPM has a government-wide program called Pathways. I highly advise you to use it. Uh, those 18 interns have had a huge impact. And one of the things that I'm also having to do is, like many federal agency, grade creep has crept in so that most of my high-end positions are GS 13, 14, and 15. An early career talent person can't apply for those jobs. So what I'm doing is as those jobs become vacant, I'm reducing them on a career ladder of a 9, 11, 12, so that an early career talent person now has an opportunity. Like these interns, even though they're doing great, I can't hire them a year out of college into a GS-14 position. But I can bring them in as a 9 and a path to 11 and onward. So uh, my last recommendation, engage your workforce. We set up a workforce innovation committee that I let my employees run. Uh, every month they have activities. One for Asian Pacific Heritage Month, they had me as a surprise guest uh, cooking Hawaiian pancakes out of my kitchen. Uh, uh, and they called me Chef G <laughs> for, for that. Um, but again, what it does is it humanizes this. And the other thing I do is even though we're in a hybrid world, I make time to have lunch with my employees. Most of them are virtual. My goal is 20 to 30% of my workforce I will have personally lunch with. Again, none of those things cost a lot of money, but if you don't take that effort, if you don't engage your workforce, and I'm going from a transformation from on-premise data centers to the cloud, so it's the biggest change you can do, I've got to get them to buy into that or they will find ways to make it fail. So again, I encourage you, spend time on the human side the technology is awesome, but once you have the technology, you need your workforce to, to deliver it. That's great stuff. Every leader should have a nickname like that. <laughs> I, uh, I won't call you Chef G, though. Right, right. Uh, you know, you, talk, you, talk, you talked about your vision for uh, transformation in the workforce, and uh, it seems to be going great. Talk about how you made the business case to your leaders on modernizing legacy applications and data centers and moving to the cloud? Uh, very good question. Uh, the beauty of OPM is everybody knows all of our systems are old. And uh, the entire federal workforce, DOD, whether you came into the federal workforce through USA Jobs, we have about 92% of the hirees of federal government coming through that way. At some point, you're going to retire and you're going to rely on OPM. Um, in the past, they've tried to do the big bang 
modernization of let's fix everything at once, and that has not worked. I'm doing it in smaller chunks, peeling off success stories so that we can, one thing is prove to the business users that taking an application that used to be on the mainframe for since 1960 <laughs> and put it into the cloud and it's much more effective, that helps show them. I said a big bang approach doesn't, doesn't fit. I mean, we've heard a lot of talk from Eric and the team about agile. You have to be agile to do it. Show small successes. Something that Maria wrote and I did at SBA um, that, again, I recommend everybody because it doesn't cost you anything. If you go to the CFO or your executive team and say, I need $100 million to modernize everything, your number might be absolutely correct. Guess what? Congress is never going to give an agency $100 million. So the first thing we did is we're going to self-fund this. So wherever we can, we're going to work with our CFO and say, if we stay within our current budget, will you let us reinvest money as we turn things off? Uh, we call it burning the bridge behind you. If you take something from on-premise, move it to the cloud, and cancel that on-premise contract, you've burned the bridge, and then we reuse that money to fund it. So I think showing small successes, showing the tremendous advantages of elasticity of the cloud and the redundancy of it, um, the business users see it. And then plus when we have hundreds of audit findings about our old legacy systems, that helps motivate people that we've got to change. Absolutely. Well, since you, know, you mentioned Agile and, and Sharon and Eric mentioned it as well too, since you've taken on the role of the CIO role at OPM, how have you seen the strategy evolve? Uh, very good. One thing I did is, is you know, I, I inherited legacy network team and legacy development team. I looked at my org chart. The word cloud wasn't anywhere in it. I said, okay, I can't, I can't do that. In fact, my IT operations group was called enterprise infrastructure services. I said, well, where's the cloud fit in enterprise infrastructure services? So we are reorganizing and structuring the group, renaming uh, the, 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 the names of, of groups like that. I also created a digital services team so that I could inject more of that early career talent into a modernization project. Uh, and what I've learned in my long career is that you can't just bring in contractors and tell the federal employees go sit in the corner while we modernize this system that you've been working on for 30 years. The best way to do it is to make a hybrid team of bringing in some people that have cloud development and agile expertise, add the legacy people to that team because they know how the old system works. Do not put them in a corner. Help them be a subject matter expert on the rebuilding of the system, and that also includes cyber. I always make sure that cyber is part of the team on day one. They can't be an afterthought. So having that digital services team inject newer agile skills into the development project, but still having legacy developers and the uh, cyber team on, I find is the right way to do it. Well, that's great. One last question, and that is, what's What's next? What does the future hold? And, and I guess it's two questions. What is your feedback for, for all of us in the room? I, I think we've heard a lot of it today. We have to make government more responsive to our citizens. Uh, right now, because we're on the legacy systems for someone that retires, they are waiting months to get their retirement. Uh, check in place. Now they get a partial payment, but it takes way too long. It's a paper-based system. So my, my goal is everything's in the cloud. I don't own a data center. 
citizens can interact with us through a, I mean, some of our government phones you don't want to fill out on a form on a uh, on a phone because it's a hundred lines. But as much as possible, you're you're able to interact with government as easy as you are with big companies like your yourself to be able to order things. Uh, it's going to take a major transformation across all the agencies to do that. But I think we just need to keep pushing it and get there until we're done. Don't stop. Guy Cavallo, the CIO at OPM at Fed Talks with Dave Levy from AWS. You can find a link to all the Fed Talks sessions in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. If you really like the Daily Scoop podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney and Carlin Fisher helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns tomorrow. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.